We're in Galatians this morning. So if you've got a Bible, pull that out. And uh, we're in Galatians chapter 3. And I thought maybe, you know, just to cheer us all up, we, we might just read. We're going to we'll look at the first five verses of this passage this morning. In chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3. And uh, we, why don't we just read the first three words? Because they're so rich and so encouraging. And I've put them in red up there so that you can see them clearly. Let us all say the word of the Lord together. One, two, three. You foolish Galatians. Did you feel it? Did you feel the love? Now, just a little um, linguistic point here. The word that's translated foolish, actually a more close English translation is stupid. All right? I mean, I think the translators were being nice. They didn't want it to look so clunky. But really, if we're going to be true to the text... We would need to say, I think, really, the word stupid. And so shall we try it again with the word stupid instead? I think that's, and, and, and shall we just say it to one another? You know, and like, so maybe, um, maybe if you're on this side of the auditorium, just look over at these people here, as you say. And if you're on here, look over at these, because we want to speak this to each other in love. We're encouraging each other with scripture this morning, right? So you ready? One, two, three. You stupid Galatians. There we go. Now we're a family. Hey? Isn't that nice? You stupid Galatians. All right, now I'll read the rest of it. That was just for fun. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by your your observing the law or by believing what you heard? So also, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay. So Paul clearly is in a bit of a state here. (coughs) He's not particularly happy. In fact, he's pretty frustrated. He's pretty frustrated for two reasons. In the first instance, he's pretty angry at this crowd of people that have come into uh, the churches that he's planted. Is that me? A gremlin in the system. Stand by. See what happens. Talk among yourselves while we figure out this technical issue. Shall I try turning off my mic? This is this is dead though. This morning. There we go. What do you reckon? That's right. No, is is this coming through okay now? Okay, good. No, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> He's a man of grace. I appreciate it. All right. No other offensive noise. We'll see how we go. Okay. Well, it's going to be one of those days. That's all right. We'll pick it up. Make Sean's editing job even more fun. So, where was I? Should we say those words again? No, we've said that. So, Paul is kind of mad here. He's mad, He's mad at this group, and we've talked about this group, called the Judaizers. These are the guys, the Judaizers, who are convincing Christians that in addition to following Jesus, you also need to observe the Jewish law. 
If you're a guy, you've got to get circumcised. Uh, you need to observe the Sabbath regulations, eat kosher, and observe the Jewish festivals. That's who the Judaizers are. And Paul's pretty annoyed at these guys because they've come in uh, to these churches that he's planted, and they're telling the Christians in his churches, Paul's converts, that this is the deal, that in addition to following Jesus, you've really got to follow Moses as well. You've got to follow the Moses law, all of the Old Testament law. But he's not just angry at those guys. He's also quite mad at the people he's writing to. Because it's not like these Judaizers came along and everybody said, oh no, we're not going to buy into that because Paul's taught us the gospel. They're buying it. They're wandering away. You know, the guys are going off and getting circumcised. They're, they're observing all of these Jewish <clears throat> laws. And Paul's just thinking, I mean, you imagine, you know, he's planted the church. He's discipled all these Christians. He's trying to teach them. He's trying to help them see what the gospel is about. And then no sooner has he left, and they're just wandering off along the road of whatever heresy has floated into town. So he's pretty exasperated with them as well. This is why he calls them stupid. It's not a particularly nice term, but Paul's not in a particularly nice mood. He's pretty heated up. And what he does in this passage, he's along the way in Galatians, if you've been following the series, Paul has appealed to a lot of different things to try and help them see what's going on. He's appealed to his own story. He's told them his own story and how it's just all about grace. It's not about observing the law. I was saved by grace. It was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's appealed to his interaction with the Jewish leaders, the the elders in Jerusalem and and how they affirmed his message and not the message the Judaizers were teaching. But now what he does is he appeals to their story. And he takes them back to the time when he first preached the gospel to them. He says in verse 2, uh, in verse 1 rather, before your eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, that doesn't mean that these people he was writing to actually saw Jesus crucified. I know it sounds a bit like that. But that's not what Paul's saying. They weren't there when Jesus was crucified. They weren't eyewitnesses of the crucifixion. What he's actually talking about is his own preaching of the gospel. What Paul's talking about is, is, the, is that time when he stood up, maybe in the Jewish synagogue or maybe in a house church setting, and he talked to them about Jesus' crucifixion. And he portrayed to them what it was that Jesus himself went through. It's, a, it's an interesting way of understanding Paul's gospel. The word portrayed is literally pictured Some people think Paul drew a picture of a cross or something to try and visually express to these people he was speaking to what it was that Jesus experienced on the cross. Central to Paul's preaching was the crucifixion and getting a cross to the people in Galatia that Jesus has been crucified for you, on your behalf, for your sins. He says, I told you about Jesus. You remember? I I pictured Jesus to you crucified. I portrayed him to you. It was like this visual image coming at you. I told you about him. And then I invited you to respond. To respond to Jesus. After announcing that he was Lord, Paul then says, what are you going to do about it? And he says, I want to learn just one thing from you. He's being a bit cheeky here because he doesn't really want to learn anything from them at all. He actually thinks they've got quite a lot to learn from him. But he says, I'd like to learn. If I could just learn one thing from you, O wise ones, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, the Jewish law, or by believing, exercising faith, in what you heard? This is the first time in Galatians that Paul mentions the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be the last time, but it's the first mention of it. And Paul's going to have a lot to say about the Spirit. The Spirit is so important for him. 
Because the Holy Spirit for Paul is the great sign that this new age has broken in. (coughs) This new age. This new creation. This new way of being human. This new way of relating to God. The old way was all about observing the law with all of its rules and regulations and, and, and festivals and dietary rules and what you can and can't do on Saturdays and all that stuff. But there was always this promise that a new age was coming, a new way, a new, a whole new era. And the big signal of that age would be the outpouring of God's Spirit. And so the fact that these Galatians have now received the Holy Spirit says what? This age has begun. We're no longer living in this old way of relating to God by rules, regulations, tribal identities, boundary markers, identity markers. We're now in the age of grace. We're now in the age of the Spirit. You've received the Spirit, and it didn't come by observing all the law. It came by just faith in Jesus. It came by you reaching out to Him, opening up your arms, and just saying, yes, Jesus. It just came because you responded in faith to the message I told you about Jesus, and on that basis, you received the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul's reminding them of. Now, they would have known some of this, but Paul's taking them back through their own conversion experience. And as I was preparing this message and just working through these verses, I was just struck again, and it's worth just taking a minute, to remind ourselves of what a wonder it is that when you exercise faith in Jesus and and bring your life to Him and surrender it to, to, to Him, God doesn't He doesn't just forgive your sin. I mean, he does that. He doesn't just begin a relationship with you, although he does that too. He doesn't just give you eternal life, although he does that too. But he comes and dwells within you by his Holy Spirit. I mean, this is unbelievable. God didn't have to do that. Could God not have related to us at a distance? Could God not have just related to us as a friend, separate entities? But God desired such incredible intimacy with you and I that he says, when you exercise faith in me, you bring your life to me, I will come and inhabit your body. I will come and take up residence within your physical being. And I'm going to make my home there. It's not some abstract, it's not, this is not just God consciousness. This is not like the force from Star Wars This is a person. This is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, comes and resides within us. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you have that Spirit right now in your body, pulsing through your veins, animating you and giving you life. You saved me. <laughs> you know, we, we just become so mundane about it. We just, it's just, I don't know, for some reason, it just kind of washes over us. We don't, we don't even think twice about it. But what an incredible thing it is. The same spirit that hovered over the waters at creation. Same spirit that uh, led Israel in a pillar of fire and a cloud. Same spirit that landed on Jesus' shoulder in the form of a dove. Same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Same spirit that was poured out on the disciples in the form of tongues of fire. Same spirit lives in you, lives in me. And we want to say, oh, I just can't really, 
I don't have the strength to get through this thing I'm going through. <clears throat> you know, we, we're so quick to say, oh, I just don't, you know, dealing with this thing, I just don't have the power to go any further. I've got this habit, I just can't shake it. I can't deal with this sin in my life, I can't really do You know, we forget that the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. We forget we have the power of the resurrected Jesus in our body. Same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. There is nothing you can't deal with. There is no sin that can't be defeated. There is no situation that we can't, with God's help and the power of the Spirit, move forward into and through because it's not us. It's Him. It's His Spirit. And Paul wants to remind the Galatians of this and say, just don't forget that within each of you, it's true the Spirit resides in us as a community, as a church, but in individuals, the Spirit comes and makes us temples, giving life to our bodies, power to our beings, not of ourselves, but of him. And we would do well to remember that, especially when things get really, really hard. Boy, there's there's, there's one in us who is far, far greater than we are. And when we get to the end of ourselves, that's when God does his best work. And so Paul says, okay, you you received the Spirit, but then something has happened for these Galatians. There comes a certain point of time, it seems, when they've got the Spirit, but the Spirit is somehow for them now not enough. But they have also uh, sucked into this message that they need to observe the law, they need to do this other thing, they need to eat kosher, get circumcised, whatever. Somehow the Spirit is not anymore enough. And Paul says, you know, this is why he calls them foolish. This is why he uses a word which in our language is as harsh as stupid, because he says, after beginning with the Spirit, are you trying to finish off just by human effort? Are you now just trying to get to your goal by yourselves? You started with the Spirit of God, and what are you doing now? You're just giving it away. You're adding these other things on. You're trying to make something else work, and by doing that, you are undermining the sufficiency of what God has given you. I was reading the story this week (coughs) of a guy called John Burke, who's a pastor in the States, and he spoke here a couple of years ago. He's the pastor of a church in Texas, Austin, Texas. And he's talking about the early days of his church when they didn't have a building to meet in. Sound familiar? And uh, they, were, they were just about to launch their church in a movie theater. They'd stitched up this deal with cinema complex called General Cinemas. They were two weeks out from launching their church service. Done all the advertising, distributed all the leaflets and the flyers, and they were all ready to go. And they got a call from the manager in Los Angeles of the whole cinema organization. And he said, look, the guy that signed that contract with you at General Cinemas, he didn't have the authority to do that. And uh, we're nullifying your contract. You're not going to be able to meet in these cinemas. And they're two weeks out from this launch date. All the advertising stuff's gone out already. And he just talks about the utter devastation that he felt in that moment of wondering how on earth we're going to make this work. And through a miraculous set of circumstances, he, he called someone who knew someone who knew someone who just happened to know the president of General Cinemas, and they just happened to be able to meet in the cinema complex after all. But that was short-lived. Nine months later, they get kicked out again. And for the next two years, he, he tells the story of them moving from venue to venue to venue, jumping around all over the place. And in one five-week period, they met in five different locations every week for five weeks. And they would have to move without any real notice. He he jokes that in those days, the slogan of their church was, if you can find us, you can come. (laughs) I mean, they were just all over the place. 
And, and, and in, his, in his book, Soul Revolution, he just reflects on what this was like for him personally as a leader. And I really resonated with it, just especially in view of this week getting the news that the Douglas Alexander building's gone. He talks about going out into the wilderness on his mountain bike and just wrestling with God. And just, just fighting and just having it out with God and asking God, why are you fighting against me? Why is none of this working? Why are our plans coming to nothing? I'll read you a quote of how he describes this whole experience. He says, After two years of wrestling with God, I felt broken like never before. I'd take my mountain bike out into the hills and spend hours crying out, What am I doing wrong? And when I received nothing but silence for a year, I finally grew silent. Then in the quiet, I began to hear in my voice, not an answer to my pleading, but a question in return. Am I enough? Am I enough? Of course you're enough, Lord, I'd answer intellectually. Haven't I given my life to serve you? Didn't I prove I'd leave it all to follow you? But when the deep struggle for peace and joy wouldn't let up, I had to admit the heartfelt truth. No, Lord, right now you're not enough. I'm not at peace being faithful to simply love you and my family and enjoy using my gifts to serve you. I need things to go my way according to my plans. That's the truth. It's a really vulnerable thing to say. And as I read that, you know, it just hit me between the eyes, that question, am I enough? And I just felt God asking me that same question because I see myself in that story a lot at the moment. You know, I, I find myself, I've found myself in past weeks, days, months, going through times of frustration, you know, anxiety, uncertainty, fear around this whole property thing and crying out to God, you know, why, why, aren't, you, why aren't you coming through here? What, what are we doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? What am I as a leader not doing or doing wrong? Or, or what, what's the problem? And in the midst of that, you know, I think God used this, this story just to get my attention the same way that he got John Burke's attention, just asking that simple question, am I enough for you? And I had to come face to face with the fact that the answer for me was also no. That, that I'd been in a place where God really wasn't enough for me, that I'd also needed my plans to go. My, I'd needed my certain timetable of things. You know, yes, God, I need you, but I also really need this building for the church. You know, I need you plus the building right now. Thanks very much. Appreciate your spirit, <laughs> but if we could have the building too, this would be great. God's spirit, God's building here we go, you know, and this was honestly where I was at, you know. I needed God and my plans. I need God and my prayers answered. I need God and this thing that I think we needed for this reason. And there's nothing wrong with praying that stuff, but I realized that for me, it had crossed over from a point of just asking and pleading to a point of needing and a point where God had not become sufficient for me. And I wasn't any longer satisfied with simply his spirit within me and, and within the church. And I don't know where you're at with this. Maybe you hear some of this in your own life, in your own story. Maybe there's, <coughs> maybe there's prayers you're praying this morning that aren't being answered as well. Maybe you're just crying out for something, asking God for something, desperate for something, needing something. And in the midst of that, maybe God's asking you the same question. 
am I enough? Is my spirit that I've placed in your body enough for you? Maybe you're crying out to God for the health of your child. Maybe you're crying out to God to bring you the husband, the wife, the boyfriend, the girlfriend. Pleading with God for a child. Asking God to bring you that job that you desperately need. Asking God to improve your situation so you don't have to sell the house, sell the car. And maybe in the midst of that, there's a question that the Spirit of God is asking you this morning, which is, am I enough? Is my grace sufficient for you? And if we're honest a lot of the time, I think we have to admit the answer is no. We're grateful for God, but we need this other thing. We need this. Now, does that mean we should stop praying for all this other stuff? We shouldn't care about it? Of course not. These are precious things. The things we pray for, you know, God invites us to. He invites us to cry out, to plead. These things are dear to our hearts. We pray for our families, pray for a job, pray for a church building. I mean, these are good things. These are important things. But what God wants to protect us against is getting to a point where he is no longer enough for us. And you know how you can tell when you've gotten to that point? It's because there's an increase in things like anxiety about that thing you're praying asking, wanting. There's an increase in your frustration towards God just goes up and up. There's nothing wrong with being frustrated at God, by the way, but when that is the defining characteristic of your relationship with God right now, frustration, that's the enduring state, then you know something's not healthy. When you just become, you find yourself becoming increasingly bitter about this thing, you're praying for it, but it's not just healthy praying, it's like I'm, I'm really deeply bitter with God, with others, with whoever. You find yourself fearful. You find these negative emotions and feelings are just taking you hostage. It's a sign that somewhere you've you've crossed over from asking to needing and that somewhere along the way the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit in your life has been compromised. And the satisfaction that God wants you to find in Him is no longer there but is this other thing that you're holding onto. And the only way through this stuff, guys, is a really, really hard road. The only way I know through it is by taking that thing, whatever it is, whether it's the health of your child, whether it's your prayer for a child, whether it's the healing of your own body, whether it's the success of your business, bringing that thing to God and laying it down at the foot of the cross and saying, God, this is yours My kids making all these stupid decisions and wrecking their life. But God, I lay that child down and I give them up to you. And I take my hands off and I leave them at the cross and I leave them in your hands and I surrender them. And I want to say, God, that you are enough. And I tell you, when you do this, you don't even feel like it. And there's nothing in your heart that wants to do it. And I'm not going to promise you you're full of fuzzy feelings when you have done it. But it's a hard, hard process that come with something that's so important to you. Maybe it's us as a church even coming with this church building and saying to God, you know, God, actually you're enough for us. You're enough. Your spirit is... And if you want us to have this thing, great. But you're enough. 
Maybe that's the point God wants to get us to before he provides that thing for us. That's the point he wanted to get Paul to. You remember when he was tormenting, Paul's got some kind of thorn in the flesh he talks about. He prays for God to take it away. And God says what to him? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because my power, God says, is perfected in your weakness. Man, we don't believe that, do we? We think God's power is perfected in our strength. We want to be strong. We want to be, we have it together, have the prayers answered. God says, my power is perfected in your weakness. Something about weakness, something about not having, something about lacking, something about weakness is incredibly appealing to God because then his spirit is able to come and move and have the mastery that he needs. And maybe God's asking you that question, is my grace sufficient for you? God, I pray for my children. I pray for my marriage, but your grace is sufficient for me. You are more than enough for me. Can you pray that prayer this morning? Can you honestly, some of you probably, you know, I can't even pray, I can't even go there. Just emotionally, it's too hard. And maybe that's where it starts, is it's just coming to God and saying, I can't even pray that. I want to pray it. But I'm just not even there. I can't even say the words yet, God. But I want you to be sufficient for me. I want to be in a place where you're enough, but right now there's this other thing that my heart cries for so much and I need this thing so much, but God, I want to find my sufficiency in you because the scriptures say in Second Peter, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Everything we need. If God saved you and gave you his spirit and then left you to a life of struggle and pain, would he be unfair? Or would his grace be sufficient for you? Sometimes it's our sense of entitlement that gets away on us. Because we feel like we deserve, we feel like God owes us, we feel like we need this thing. But maybe God's in the quietness this morning just saying to you, is my spirit enough? And when you go through this process, and it's not a quick fix, I guarantee you, you could pray this, say this today, tomorrow, you've got to pray it, say it, go through It's going to be a journey. It's a lifelong journey. But when you're on this road, and God's dealing with me on this issue right now, when you you start moving through this journey, you discover something that is even greater than getting your prayers answered. You discover the one that you're praying to. You discover the presence of the God that you're actually asking for this other stuff. Because God doesn't offer to answer every single prayer that you pray and give you everything that you need He doesn't offer us instant solutions and quick fixes, but he offers us himself. He offers us his spirit. And what we can find on the other side of our yearnings and our thirsts and our longings is a deep, deep sense of sufficiency in the Holy Spirit. A satisfaction in Christ that you never even knew was possible. And it doesn't mean you don't desire these other things. It doesn't mean you don't pray for these other things, but it means at a deep core level, and don't, don't you just desire this, to have such a sufficiency in Christ that you can still say, your grace is sufficient for me. And it's enough for me just to be faithful day to day, trust in your provision, and know that you're in control. Your grace is sufficient for me. And when you get to that place and when you journey towards that place, sometimes joy just bubbles up in the strangest of times. Even in the midst of difficulty, There's just a deep sense of, I'm okay. God's enough. There's a peace that transcends all of our understanding that 
is accessible to us when we find our sufficiency in Christ. There's something greater than getting what we want. It's getting the one who offers himself to us through his Holy Spirit. John Piper said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. There's just a wealth of meaning in that phrase. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. How satisfied are you in him? How satisfied are you in his spirit? Are you a God plus, 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 I need all these other things? Or can you just be satisfied in him or at least be on that journey? I don't know where you're at with this this morning. I'm preaching out of my own story because this is right where God's dealing with me. And I see it in this text and I see it in my life. But maybe there's something that God's prompting you to come and lay down. Maybe there's something that you need that is undermining the sufficiency of the Spirit in your life. And God's prompting and tugging your heart this morning and say, you know, you just need to come and lay that thing down before me. I need you to surrender that thing. I need you to give it up. Don't stop praying for it. Don't stop caring about it. But I need you to surrender it to me and declare that I am enough for you. God wants to be enough because he is more than enough for you. And I want to invite you, we're going to sing a song in just a minute, and <laughs> just as a, as a physical expression of that, if you would like to come forward during that song and just maybe kneel at the front, maybe kneel at the foot of the cross, and no one's, unless you want to, no one's going to talk to you, probe you, pray with you, whatever, but just for you to make a physical stand and coming forward, and what you're doing is bringing that thing, that person, that prayer, that need, that thing right now, and you're bringing it to God and saying, God, I lay this down. And I, and I declare today that you are enough for me, with or without this other thing. I'm going to be down here, not as a pastor today, but just as me, because this is where I need to be, because this is what I'm going through. And so it's just an invitation to anyone else who needs to be down here as well, because there's something that needs to be given up and handed over. And we need to remind ourselves that God truly is sufficient for us. So let me pray. And then uh, as we sing this last song, uh, any that want to can come forward. And if you want to stay where you are, that's totally fine as well. Let's pray. Father God, <coughs> God, I know for me, I find it really hard to say those words that you're enough because I'm not really sure it's true for me yet. But I know that I want it to be true. And I know that I want to discover the sufficiency of having you be all that I need and not even not even needing all these other things. But God, I confess that I'm on a journey and I feel like I'm just at the start of it. But I say to you out of my own soul this morning that I know you are enough for me. I know that you are enough for this church. I know that the power and presence of your spirit is everything that we need. I pray for every person in this room for whom there's something this morning that needs to be laid down and given up and handed over. Give us the courage to do it. Give us the strength, even in spite of ourselves, to surrender again and allow you to remind us again that your grace truly is sufficient and your spirit truly is enough. In Jesus' name, amen.